The Start On Demand. On demand. It is election day in Manitoba, and we come right out of the gate with a stark contrast of opinions on the subject of formally declining a vote. One woman says, yay. The other woman says, quite angrily, nay, nay, nay. McNabb hit the road halfway through the show to head to the polling station at Earl Grey Community Centre to get the lay of the land. We discuss whether or not we should have electronic voting, and we also head to the Bahamas to speak to Global's Mike Drolet, who described the devastation from Hurricane Dorian. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, September 10th Election Day podcast for The Start. Well, on Drex last night, the shift... Uh, with Drax, Drax guest host Shane Hewitt had a discussion about the Manitoba election. I was part of that conversation. A woman named Evelyn called in to say she was going to, in her words, Brett, veto her vote. I have vetoed my vote before. What do you mean I by veto? Yeah, I have publicly made record that I don't know who to vote for. I don't, I'm not voting, basically. So, so how, um, do you, how do you do that? You, you basically go to the election place where you're supposed to vote, and they, they provide you with paperwork stating the fact that on public record, I'm not voting for anyone. So when yeah. you, so you could so, just spoil your vote, but this way it's on public record that you're, you don't fit? Well, yeah, and the thing is, like, when, when that guy from the, the, the start said that, um, you know, it's just like you can't bitch and complain if you're voting, but if you're officially vetoing your vote, you actually did something. You did exercise your rights. To not voting. So that guy from the start was me, not Brett. And I said, if you don't vote, you can't bitch and complain about what goes on subsequent to the election. Well, I would argue that if you decline your ballot, you go to the polling station, you have exercised that right. You have expressed your opinion about the candidates in your writing. You disagree, McNabb. I, I don't. I don't disagree. If you're about, if it's about saying I want change to the system, and we've talked a lot about how to change how we vote, and there was promises by Justin Trudeau years ago that he was going to look at election reform, and if it's about saying I don't like the system, then I'm not necessarily against it. But I, I, I feel for the most part, everybody has one thing on their list that they care about. And there has to be someone, there has to be one party out there that at least matches that priority. You're never going to find a party that fits all the things you, you feel. But say you're really passionate about mental health or about crime, someone doing something about it. There, there has to be someone out there that said something that fits close to those ideals for you Brett, on one front. Brett, you and I have both openly admitted to spoiling or declining our ballot in the past. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember which election it was, but I walked in and they 
handed me my ballot. I said, thank you very much. Here you go. I'd like to hand this back to you. And they said, okay. And that was that. So I just wanted it to count because I didn't like any of the options on the table. And I, I didn't want to endorse any of those options with my votes, regardless of what they maybe they did have a stance on something that I liked, but I, they had stances on things I didn't like. So I just turned it away. Well, I think that's very different than not showing up at the polls. Agreed. That's making all. a statement. That, that, is a, that is a vote. For uh, I don't know if I support it, but it's a vote for saying I don't like the process, but I also believe in democracy. Right. You're at least part of the process. Well, Roma, last night, overnight, on the shift with Drex, from Winnipeg, vehemently disagreed with uh, the caller who suggested that uh, declining her vote was an okay thing to do. I was listening to her speak, Her her what she said she's going to have exercise her right to veto her vote. Mm-hmm. I nearly jumped up out of my chair and <laughs> you are vetoing your vote? I am a woman. You are a woman. How dare you? How dare you not vote? A hundred years ago, you didn't have the right to vote because you were a woman. Do you know how many women suffered? They were called suffragettes because they fought. They fought fought to get the right to vote. You and I did not have the right to vote. We were considered no more than the household dog. We had no more rights than a household dog. And you're not going to vote, and you think you're exercising your right by vetoing your right to vote? How dare you? I get what you're saying, and I hear you. I also hear the passion behind it. But when you don't know who you're going to vote for, if you're not convinced that anybody there is good enough, what would you do? Then you look at the one who you think will, will do the least damage. <laughs> you will think, who will, who will just at least not damage the province? If you don't know of anybody that you can see that's going to do wonderful, glorious things, you, you think, who will just, just take care of the province and not hurt it? You know, just, just you look at the you just process of elimination I love the passion on both sides on this. I leave it with a question for everyone in this room and everyone listening. Is the lesser of two evils good enough? I don't know, if, but if Roma wants to go for a drink anytime with me, she knows where to find me. She sounds fun. Well, the horror that was Hurricane Dorian is now revealing its devastating effects. Thousands of homeless Bahamians searching for refuge in their own country and beyond. And as they do that, there are crews going from street to street trying to recover the dead. Global National's Mike Drolet has spent several days in Bahama, in the Bahamas, and a warning what he's hearing from residents and seeing on the ground might be difficult for some. What I went through was a living hell. Emmett Boodle and his family tried to flee in a large bus. As he saw people in need, he picked them up. And soon, 90 people were crammed into a space meant for half that. I mean, they had no way to go. The horror for him was having to drive around the bodies of people he knew. Images he can't escape. But it's always up here. Come in my sleep, I see it. You know, I see it. That, of course, is just one family story. Mike Drolet joins us now from the Bahamas with more on what's being done to help people like them. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Loren. Well, that family you spoke to, uh, as I saw in your story last night and heard just now, they have a hotel to stay in, and they have a spot to sleep for now. But what's next for them and families like them? 
Well, that family is one of the luckier ones because they had uh, one of the uh, resorts open their doors for them for a few weeks and to give them somewhere to stay. They also are one of the few, uh, the families that have a few more means than some of the others. And they're hoping, actually, they, they don't think they want to go back. I mean, they've seen too much. They saw too many relatives and friends die that they... Uh, they think that they want to either move to the U.S. or think in New York, but they'd also like to try Canada. So they're going to be inquiring with the uh, the Canadian embassy to find out what sort of processes are involved, whether or not the Canadians are opening their doors or, or not. Uh, but, for, I mean, a lot of other people are coming here, and they're walking out, and they're like, great, I'm off the island. Uh, you know, I've got, uh, you, know, you know, clothes on my back, and, and you're giving me food and water, but where am I going to go? I mean, there aren't a ton of jobs in Nassau. It's a small place. Uh, and and a lot of these people want to go back, but it's going to take, I mean, honestly, it's going to take years for that island to recover. It's going to even, even be able to have anybody move back even temporarily because it is just absolutely devastated. It's gone. There's very few buildings that are salvageable there. Mike, it's Greg here. Uh, the, the, the scale of this devastation is incomprehensible unless you see it with your own two eyes. What was your first reaction once you got on the, on the ground there? And how overwhelming was it for you? Well, it was uh, it was interesting. It took us a while to get there. Um, I mean, everybody was trying to get in, and we finally we managed to get on one of the uh, on a flight on Saturday. And uh, the first thing you notice, I mean, you know, when you fly over the Caribbean, you look at the islands, you see that beautiful green, the lush green. There was no lush green on this island. Uh, half the trees seemingly are bent over or broken, and then the other ones are this mottled brown. It's very brown. It's because all the salt water just flushed over the entire island. The entire island it was covered in water. And the salt water you know, killed off a lot of the grass. And then uh, with all the mud that was in there, it basically covered everything in this coat. So it doesn't, I mean, I've had people from there describe it as it doesn't smell like their island. It doesn't look like their island. It just doesn't feel like the same place, even though they know they're standing in the same place they were like, you know, a week ago. They go, it just doesn't feel like the same place. And in terms of... Uh, you know, the rest of it, I mean, you go down, you start, you start seeing things. nothing is where it should be. You see a bunch of catamarans that are, you know, flipped on their, uh, you know, flipped over like toys, and they're off in forests. Well, how'd they get there? Um, because, you know, 20-foot swells will do that. And then to the entire city of Marsh Harbor is just wiped out. Um, just, there is not a building left standing that is worth staying in. Mike, I know you've covered all sorts of natural disasters, unfortunately, over the years, like going into Haiti uh, in 2010. You've covered Hurricane Katrina. This one is, is I, I looked at the pictures and I thought, what's left for them and how do they rebuild? So is that conversation even taking place or right now are they just focused on trying to recover the dead? Well, it's, it's really kind of confusing here because the government is, is being heavily criticized for really not doing much much at all and not doing anything really fast enough so it seems that everybody's sort of behind uh they're talking about still talking about getting released to these islands when in fact most of the people are getting off and they're coming here so the relief doesn't necessarily have to go over there anymore so it's almost like they're they're two steps behind uh but in terms of next steps you know they're those the people who are uh who are getting off the island are the ones who are talking about next steps they want to know what the plans are they, that's it. I mean, they want to know, what are we going to do? What's, what, are we going to have temporary housing? Is, is this it? I spoke to a, like a contractor with, uh, um, with a, a large Canadian uh, group from Western Canada. I don't know if I should say their name, but they, uh, they were here, and they're here looking to see what they can do in terms of long-term housing 
uh, tent cities, that sort of thing, uh, because um, right now there is nowhere to put these people. And they've got a couple of temporary facilities set up, but uh, I don't think they're looking much beyond or have planned much beyond, um, you know, today. So it's uh, it's going to be they're going kind of day by day right now. For the families that are trying to leave, you mentioned that first one looking at Canada as an option, maybe the United States. We had heard a bit uh, of confusion for some people looking to even get to Florida about what visas or paperwork was or was not required. Uh, Has that changed? I mean, if someone's trying to get out of Bermuda, are we welcoming them here in Canada or in the United States? Uh, well, that's also unclear, and it's uh, out of here in the, in the Bahamas, not uh, Bermuda. But uh, a, people, we've seen a lot of videos. There's a video on uh, uh, on a ferry where the captain kicked everybody off and didn't have a visa. Uh, I saw people at the airport um, on uh, in Treasure Key uh, saying, "I want to get off," and there was a, there was you know, one of the officials coming by saying, "If you want to go to the states, we're only taking people with visas." But then you know the people here say, "We don't need a visa to go to the U.S." So there, again, once again, there's a disconnect in terms of information and uh, people just don't know what the real story is. Yeah. And and the uh, and and that company that was taking people, there was 17 people that got off that ship, that video you're talking about, Loren, and and that that decision was made in error. So uh, some clarity may be starting to filter through here. Mike Drolet, thanks for painting such a, a devastating, if not incredible picture for us. Thank you. Have a great morning, guys. I was listening to her speak. Her, her, what she said. She's going to have exercise her right to veto her vote. Mm-hmm. I nearly jumped up out of my chair. <laughs> you are vetoing your vote. I am a woman. You are a woman. How dare you? How dare you not vote? A hundred years ago, you didn't have vote because you were a woman. Do you know how many women suffered? They were called suffragettes because they fought. They fought to get the right to vote. You and I did not have the right to vote. We were considered no more than the household dog. Okay, so uh, safe to say she has an opinion on mm-hmm. the issue. I like it. <laughs> Lots of our listeners do. <laughs> I cannot believe the passion. I'm very impressed with the passion that people are expressing this morning before the hour of 7 o'clock and these text messages have been streaming in since 6 a.m. I'm going to read uh, one of the first ones and then uh, we'll bring everybody into this. Thanks for the info about being able to go on public record as for declining available candidates. The idea of voting for someone who is least harmful for the job is criminal in my opinion. It's a tactic, acceptance of all the behavior, disregard for the public and our tax dollars and makes you 100% complicit in the continuance of the aforementioned. This is brilliant stuff. It's literally like saying, well, people fought for democracy and our right to choose. So when you're being mugged for your personal wallet by a pair of criminals, you have to exercise your freedom and choose which one to hand your goods over to. Maybe it's the kind of sentiment that's led you and my to choose not to be complicit anymore. And uh, Brett and I have both said in the past we have chosen to decline our ballot but want to be part of the process. I think there's a complete difference between doing that and not attending the polls altogether. There's a, a dramatic difference. Kelly? 
Well, it is a division in our household when it comes to uh, elections because I'm a passionate voter. I don't think that you can exact change without being involved. And yet, uh, my better half uh, has not voted now for quite a while, so she'd really get screamed at by that lady uh, because she has just been so disillusioned by the lies, by the corruption, uh, by uh, listening to politicians who promise one thing, then they get elected, and all of a sudden they completely change their tune. She has just simply had enough. And and I don't have, you know, a reasonable argument uh, to change her way of thinking on that. Because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of politicians have fallen in to that type of behavior. But, I, but I, I'm a, an eternal optimist, so I'll continue to mark my ballot with the hope that one day I'll vote for a candidate who actually will do what they have promised to. Jeff Braun? I will be that candidate, Kelly. Oh, that would be so good. Too late, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, I've got no problem with people declining their ballot in that fashion when they go down there and officially do it. I've never done it myself. The closest I've come is for civic elections, I will sometimes uh, just leave the spot for school trustees blank because I'm like, I have no idea who any of these people are and – I would feel bad if I gave some moron complete power over the school tax money. Right. right? So. Because you just, that, that, there was no research or no. Yeah, because I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the school trustees. Right. Yeah, you're not alone there. No. Uh, and I'm sure many people get voted in because they have a cool name or something like I that. I may have done that before, too. Yeah, my yeah. grandma's <laughs> name was Sharon. I'll vote for Sharon. <laughs> yeah. I've never met a Randy that was normal, so they're not getting a vote. Yeah, this uh, guy's name is Zarly Zalapsky. I'm voting for him. I, mean, I, I hear what everyone's saying, and I get it. I get the disenfranchised voter. That's obvious if you only have, if your best case scenario tonight is 60% turnout, then it's obvious you have a huge portion of the population population who's just not engaged for all sorts of reasons. The thing with the declining the ballot is that it's not specific enough to me. So it's not saying I'm declining because I don't like any of the above or I don't like the What parties. else is it saying? Yeah, yeah, I don't like the si- or I don't like it could be that I don't like the system. I don't like the first past the post. I don't like that it's just a majority contest. There could be other reasons. And so therefore I I wouldn't mind someone said have a none of the above declining it, would there be? Could, could we think of three categories that would work for us to why? And then, then we can understand as a voter population, as a country, as a province, this is how we feel, and we need to make some changes because X number of our voters are saying this year after year. Now, if you can decline your ballot, which you can, do people understand that process? Because then they might not. They might go to vote and do that, and then again, we'd have numbers that say thirty percent of the people declined their vote this year. Because they just hate all of you guys and girls. And therefore, that's a bigger statement than just not going. Some people don't go just because they don't feel like it or they didn't get to it. And there's a gigantic difference There's a huge difference. And so I just think people need to understand that process. And then what is it actually saying about our system? And the fact that we're having this extended discussion about this tells you, in a great extent, all you need to know about how broken a lot of us feel the system is and how limited the choices are. One of our text messengers said, what if nobody showed up to vote? What would that, what would that say? Well, you know what? It would send a huge message that this system is broken. Jeff Forche, have you got something to say? All I have to say is go and at least spoil your, your ballot by going and showing up instead of not going at all because you're not saying anything then. 
It is election day here in Manitoba. And as soon as this one wraps, another one is on the horizon. We're going to bring to you a story in a couple of minutes, uh, we hope, from our vo- our reporter in Ottawa about uh, expense accounts for MPs. But here's one thing you might not know, and it's worth asking our MLAs here in Manitoba how the system works. Once MPs are elected, because the federal election is also about a month away, they have an expensive count, of course, right? They travel, they do things. And one thing that comes with that is a thing known as a designated traveler. And that allows them to have a person that might come visit them, a partner. I don't know if kids qualify. And so we're adding up the costs of what that designated traveler program is to MPs here in this country. And we're looking to bring you that story this morning because it turns out that some of them are high because they might live in the Yukon and travel to Ottawa 15, 20 times a year. And their wife or husband or kids might do the same. But there's also people who are charging more than others who don't necessarily have all that distance to go. And so we're digging into that uh, from Ottawa this morning. And when we get our reporter on the line, we'll bring it to you. Well, uh, you know, last week or the week before, I think I shared with both of you an article that absolutely floored me when I learned the fact that the Texas legislature meets every other year. And that tradition started right at the beginning of the formation of Texas. Every other year? Every other year they meet. And this is, first of all, comes out of the 1800s when getting to Austin, to the state capitol, meant walking, riding a a, a horse, stagecoach. Uh, Texas was very dangerous at the time. Yeah. And you only wanted to take your life into your own hands so often. So they just had the leg- legislature and the legislative assembly met every other year. They still do it. Still. I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's something we should think about in Canada. If we're going to spend all this money for people to live in Ottawa and to move all these people back and forth, uh, maybe it just doesn't make economic sense. It's tongue-in-cheek, of course. Well, let's talk about that money that's going out to MPs and their spouses or family now. Ottawa-based national online reporter Amanda Connolly has been looking into this particular expense account and joins us now. Uh, We only have a few minutes left, Amanda, so let's just start with this. What is the designated traveler? Who qualifies? So this is a program through the House of Commons in Ottawa that basically allows MPs to designate one person, often a spouse or another kind of relative, um, as their designated traveler. This person can have their expense, uh, their travel expenses reimbursed effectively or paid for by taxpayers in cases where they're being reunited with the MP if they're family or representing the MP at an event, for, for instance. And so generally it covers things like travel back and forth from the riding that the MP represents uh, to Ottawa or to select other Canadian cities for parliamentary business and that kind of stuff. And so what we found going through this data was that taxpayers have paid over the last four years $4.5 million for these trips by the spouses, partners, or other designated travelers of Canadian MPs. That doesn't include children, though. So this is the only um, non, I guess you could say, non-dependent individuals. So again, a spouse or other family member. So does that mean that dependents would fall under a whole other allowance or is there no allowance, uh, uh, you know, is there no accommodation for those people uh, connected with MPs, Amanda? So there, there, is, there are allowances for dependents, and you do see a lot of MPs who have children also have separate claims for dependents and, and for travel by their children to come and visit them in Ottawa from the ridings. We didn't look specifically at that. We looked here specifically at the instances of spousal travel or other designated traveler expenses 
um, because I think a lot of people they're, they're, I think a lot of people might look at the the children traveling and say, well, this is their parent that's sure. already working in in Ottawa. So yeah, we looked specifically at the cases of of husbands and wives and really zeroed in on some of the top the top claimants for these. Um, one of them being Todd Doherty, a conservative MP from Northern BC, and also on that list was Jody Wilson Rabel, the former Liberal Attorney General. She claimed roughly $125,000 in social travel expenses for her husband over those four years. So what do we make from this? I think there might be some people at home thinking, you know what, that makes sense to me. They work in Ottawa. They have to have people come and go. But is there someone who's overspending in the sense of that's gone beyond what they're, they're allotted? Or is it a conversation about is, the best, is this the best system to which we should be working for with our taxpayer dollars? I think that really is the question here. So this is not done on a basis of, of MPs get a certain amount of um, a budget that they can spend, they get effectively what's known as travel points. So one point is one round trip, and each MP gets a certain amount of those that they can use either for their own travel or share that with um, their their spouse or other designated traveler. And so the idea behind that is that, of course, MPs from more rural or remote ridings are going to have higher costs, uh, and that doing it on a, on a budget basis could kind of discriminate against some of those MPs who have to travel farther to come into to Ottawa and, and for their spouses to do the same. And really, I think what we're looking at here, though, is a discussion over what, what is an acceptable expense? What is reasonable, right? Um, part of the, 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 um, the things that have come under criticism with this program before is the fact that the spouses or designated travelers can use business class. So you can certainly have, I think, a discussion about whether that is reasonable uh, for taxpayers to be paying for and also whether there should be some kind of a, a higher ceiling on those costs or a reasonable test for kind of when, how often they should be coming out to Ottawa and that kind of thing. Amanda Connolly joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you. Let's switch gears here, Greg, and uh, I'm not, this is all you, man, so you do the intro. Well, what rhymes with election day? Rosé soiree. <laughs> You've been waiting all morning for that one. Greg. I just came up with it, I must confess. Vince Parletta to my left joins us in studio. He's the president and CEO of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Vince, always great to get some time with you. Thank you for this. And what's happening Thursday, September 19th? I know I gave the title out, but give us some details about what will be happening in an outstanding Standing venue. Well, great to be here, Greg. Uh, CJOB's own poet laureate, uh, Greg Mackling. Uh, fantastic <laughs> rhymes to start things off on this uh, on this election day. So September nineteenth, fantastic event. The first year we're doing it, the Rose Soiree, a night for cardiac excellence. This is going to be an evening to support the cardiac sciences program at St. Boniface Hospital, a tremendous program that serves tens of thousands of Manitobans directly every year and impacts many more families uh, than that across the province. A beautiful event uh, that evening in the ruins, the old ruins of the St. Boniface uh, Cathedral, and uh, uh, fantastic uh, food. We're going to be having a chef's competition, fantastic wine performances by some players from the WSO, uh, acrobatics, just going to be an absolutely spectacular evening. And of course, uh, some tickets are still available. We're getting close to a sellout here, Greg, but there are some tickets still available uh, for those that want to get down to our website, stbhf.ca, uh, or give us a call by phone 237. Uh, 2067 and, and get those tickets. So this celebration of cardiac sciences, it's not just the care that people get, but it is the progressive, the forward-looking research that happens at St. Boniface Hospital at Albertson Research Centre. It's this umbrella that we talk about on campus at St. Boniface Hospital, the benefit of having a teaching hospital, a working hospital, and then the research centre all on 
on one plot of land. It's something that is highly advantageous, not only to the doctors, the researchers and the practitioners, but to us as patients as well. It's really a unique, one-of-a-kind medical research, uh, patient care clinical campus that we have at St. Boniface Hospital. That's why uh, the research centre continues uh, uh, to be uh, to be selected as one of the top medical research facilities in Canada, the best in, in Western Canada. But it's also due to the incredible support of our donors. But you know what? Uh, we've also got some parts of the hospital campus that need a lot of love. And one of those is the mental health building at St. Boniface Hospital. And I got to tell you, Greg, one of the reasons why I wanted to come down here this morning wasn't just to talk about the Rosé Soiree, but it was actually to talk a little bit about you, Greg. And I know I saw you yesterday when you came down to visit us at the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Now, I, I opened my mailbox and I got my latest edition of Handsome Hunks magazine. And who did I see on the cover <laughs> but Greg Mackling? No, it, once, it wasn't Handsome Hunks magazine. It was the latest copy of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's publication, Believe Magazine. And who's on the cover Mr. Greg Mackling, this is our special issue on mental health. And Greg, you were courageous enough and kind enough to share your own stories of mental health with uh, with our donors and and with uh, and with the public through this magazine. Greg, can you tell us a little bit about the story that uh, that you shared and 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 why you felt compelled to share it with us? Well, uh, first of all, I didn't know you were going to do this this morning, Vince. Uh, so thank you. Um, I feel it's my duty to share my story uh, for those. And I've already heard from so many people uh, yesterday when this was showing up in mailboxes. I I heard from my mailmen, friends who said, "Um, I'm looking at you a little bit differently today. (laughs) And just this whole idea of, of letting people know what I have been through so that A, those that are going through whatever range of emotional illness or unwellness you might be dealing with, you're not alone. You can still achieve your dreams. You can still uh, look back and say that that is something that that defined me once upon a time, Mm -hmm. or perhaps it defines me now, but I need to move forward. And so that, that's part of my responsibility, this gift that I have to, to do what I do for a living. And I was just so fortunate to, to get care all along the way from friends, from family, from practitioners, and at St. Boniface Hospital. And one of the things that stuck out for me was that the facility, the McEwen building, for all the incredible work that's done inside, the facility is tired, it's worn out, it needs a facelift, it needs some love and care. And if in any way I can inspire someone to pull a $10 bill or more out of their wallet to help make that a reality, then that's the least I can do in exchange for the incredible care, compassion that I've received over the years and from our extended family, our radio family as well. Well, you know what, Greg? I mean, that's an incredible story. There's a lot more you can learn about it in Believe Magazine. And we've told so many incredible stories together over the years, Greg, through sure we did. through the health report here on CJOB, 10 years of the run of that incredible show. And there's yet another reason why I wanted to come down here this morning, Greg. Uh, you talk about uh, the, gift of, uh, the gift of donors and you talk about the gift of, of storytelling. I have a, a small token on behalf of the foundation uh, for you, Greg. Just for, for your listeners, this is a uh, this is a, a microphone trophy I have here for Greg Mackling for his years of dedication to the health report and for his years of dedication to St. Boniface Hospital uh, Foundation. Greg, you have done so much for our foundation with radio, with your service in the community, the support that you show our donors through various events, our golf tournament this year, our, our donor breakfast this year, and so many other events. 
from all of us at St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. I want to thank you very sincerely, and I want to give you give you this, uh, this small token of our appreciation, Greg, for all of your years of service. Thanks so much, man. It, it means a lot to me. Uh, I had no idea you were going to spring this <laughs> on me this morning. I, I'm overwhelmed, as you can tell, mm-hmm. because uh, my relationship with St. Boniface Hospital Foundation started well before the, ho- the, the health report. It started in the NICU when my boys were born eight weeks prematurely and uh, just the love, the care that they received, the least I could do was uh, to do what we've done over the last decade in the relationship that we've had. So uh, it comes from the heart, Vince, and, and I, I will cherish this. Thank you so much. You suspected something was up, though. No, not, a, not yeah. at oh, all. You were not, sniffing around yesterday. We not, had... not in any way, shape, or form. This Vince, is... I'm a terrible liar. And I had to just I had to say, I, I don't even know what we're doing. It's a sales thing. They set it up uh, through our sales department. So we'll I'll send you the details later. Uh, so Completely glad. off guard. Okay, good. I'm glad we got you off guard. Vince Barletta, thank you for coming in to do this. Great uh, to be here. Real treat to have you here. Vince is the president and CEO of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Rosé Soiree, September 19th. Get your tickets. It's going to be an amazing event. down at the Earl Grey Community Center. This is actually in the Fort Gary riding, and there's four new names on the ballot this year. The incumbent is not returning, and it's no joke to say that by foot, by bike, and by car, really is has been people coming here in droves. You know, when I arrived this morning, just before 8, there was a lineup of about a dozen people inside, and, and they haven't stopped coming since, so I'm encouraged to see just how many people are coming out to this particular polling station, at least, to place their vote, and what that might say for voters or turnout, who knows? We know we were talking in the last hour about how elections that come when we we seem to know the result and we know change may or may not be coming might contribute to a lower voter turnout. But right here at this station in the Fort Gary riding, wow, I mean, it's hopping inside. And I I know that sounds funny about a polling station, but it really is. <laughs> well, uh, it's too bad you don't have uh, confections to sell them, popcorn, candy floss, uh, hot dogs. Who knows what you might be able to sell outside that polling station? What sort of what sort of rules do people have to keep in mind at the polling station, Loren? Is there anything that that we want to share with people? Uh, make sure they have their ID. I guess at the very least, even if you don't have that that enumeration card. Absolutely, you don't necessarily need that. Uh, card. And in fact, I was thinking this morning that I never got one in the mail. And I'm not sure if that's about boundary changes or what, but you can just show up uh, at your a polling station within your riding and then show with ID and you should be allowed to cast your ballot. And if you don't know where to go, you can go to the election Manitoba's website. That's electionsmanitoba.ca. And you can just type in your address and then it will give you the options of where you can vote in your area. And that's the place to start. Bring your ID. You need a certified government ID. ID, uh, but we'll get more into some of the rules that you can't have to apply to at 845. We're going to speak to Elections Manitoba, not just about how to vote, where to vote, where to go, those important details, but we also had a really crucial conversation this morning about, okay, what if I want to express my opinion in some way, but I don't want to vote for any of the candidates? How does the declining your ballot work? How does spoiling your ballot work? What does that look like? And is that an option for some people. But in the meantime, not only did I just watch another 10 to 12 people go into this polling station, guys, but they're all really young. And we make an assumption all the time about voters being of a certain age, and they're all younger than me. I'll say that much. Wow. 
That's good to hear. Right on, Lauren McNabb. So how long are you going to post up there? Uh, Until someone talks to me. (laughs) And then uh, I'll go on and check it. I'll go on and check another station. No, you're not not allowed to, if you're within a certain distance of a, a voting station, you're not allowed to ask people how they voted. Um, but what I'm more interested in is what brought people out today. Was there an issue? What's making them be here? And another thing that I've seen over and over again uh, in the faces of these really young voters is their kids. They're bringing their kids with them. And I think that's a really interesting part of the process in terms of what some moms and dads might be, not just thinking on how they want to vote, but what they're trying to show the next generation. So some, those are some of the conversations I hope to have with voters within the next hour. And then we'll we'll see where it takes me. Sort of the, di- sort of the diametric opposite opposite of taking your kid into a liquor store yes and i've never done that ever greg ever i know you haven't loren you're good you're a good mom (laughs) loren mcnab thank (laughs) you very much i'm not ashamed to say it why cast your vote uh because i think it's important as part of our democratic process that we have this opportunity to actually try to choose who we want to run our province Eliza, is there an issue that had you at the polls or one thing that helped decide things for you? There's a whole lot of issues that brought me here. I think we have a lot of um, a lot of issues facing our province and they all brought me here. Cumulative effect. One priority for you that you want to see addressed? Income inequality, poverty, reduction. I noticed you guys brought your kids and you're not alone. A lot of people seem to be doing that. Was there a reason for you to, to bring her here with you today? Uh, well, we have to go to work, and so that's just convenient. Yeah. But we also talk about voting. We've talked about democracy, and hopefully, we're going to raise a well. We are going to raise a future voter. Everything goes smoothly inside. No issues. No, no concerns at all. Yeah. In and out, and how quickly? Less than five minutes. Loren McNabb on location this morning at a voting station, and question of the day at cjob.com. Will you be voting today in the provincial election? And so far at cjob.com, 56% say I voted in advance. Hmm. A lot of advance voters at cjob.com. 33% say yes. 7% say I'll decline my vote. And then 4% say no. Same poll on Twitter, slightly different results. Just flip yes and I voted in advance. You got 55% saying yes and 37% say I voted in advance. 6% say no, and 2% say I'll decline my vote. We also put similar polls up on uh, Facebook and on our 680 CJOB Instagram story. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram. Question of the day, by the way, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. We heard from Elise Gerstein and Les Harris in conversation with Loren McNabb outside Earl Grey Community Centre, one of dozens, if not hundreds, of polling stations around the province of Manitoba, and every time we come up on an election, Brett, there are still several questions that voters may have with regard to what they need to vote. Can I just show up? Where do I need to go? Are there places that I'm not allowed to go? Christiana Jones is with Elections Manitoba, and she spoke with Loren McNabb just a few moments ago. We're going to start with the basics, a lot of people walking in with that voter card. If you didn't get one in the mail or you're at work and you forgot it at home and you don't have time, is it necessary? You don't need the voter information card to vote. It does make the process a little bit quicker. So we do suggest if you received a voter information card in the mail that you do bring it with you. You don't need to be registered. You don't need the voter information card to vote. As long as you have sufficient ID, you can be sworn onto the list before you vote. Are there places in this province that are busier or times of day that I might want to avoid if I'm someone who says, look, I only have a certain amount of time. And let's be clear, the, the people I've seen come in, 
come here. I've been in and out five to seven minutes, so it doesn't take a lot of time to vote, but there must be busier times or places. Yeah, so you do have to go to your assigned voting place on election day, so I can't really suggest places to avoid. Um, But we do find that it is generally quite a quick process. We do see a bit of an influx of people around the lunch hour and just after dinner time kind of thing. So if you can avoid those times, you might get it a little bit faster, but it's usually pretty quick. Is there an option uh, out there? A lot of people this morning saying like, look, I'm undecided. I don't know how to vote, but I'll make a game time decision. Or they're saying, I want to mark my X, but not for any of the candidates. So what's the difference between spoiling a ballot and declining a ballot? So a spoiled ballot would be a ballot where maybe we're not sure what candidate you were casting your ballot for. Um, Maybe it wasn't clearly marked or we couldn't see kind of thing. To write declined on your ballot is how you decline a ballot. And that is specifically counted separately as a declined ballot. It's not a we're not sure who they voted for. It's a we know this voter declined their ballot. So I don't have to walk up to someone and, you know, I declare I'm declining. It's just taking the ballot as I would if I was voting normally and I write on it declined. Is this happening more? What, what's what been the trend towards that in recent elections? So we did notice in the last provincial election that there was a bit of an uptick in declined ballots uh, in comparison to the election prior. However, it's a trend that it's not really our, our role to speculate on. Um, but yeah, we did see a bit of an uptick. We saw a slight uptick in advance voting this time over last. Can we read into trends like that? Does that say anything about voter engagement? Or can that really depend on advance voting be huge and overall voter turnout still stay the same? Yeah, again, it's it's a tough thing to say because, again, it's not really our role to speculate on voter turnout. Um, but we have seen more and more people voting in advance for the past four provincial elections, basically. It's been going up. So it's really hard to tell if that's going to influence overall turnout obviously showing to you that people are looking for other ways to get their vote out though. Yeah, I think the more options we present to voters, the more people we're going to get voting. So once again, Christiana Jones, that's uh, an interview that she conducted just a few moments ago with our own Loren McNabb outside Earl Grey Community Centre. Ask asking questions was Loren of Elections Manitoba. Some of the more frequently asked questions that we get around here. And I think uh, Jeff Forche fielded one question off the air. Uh, somebody wanted to know, where do I go to vote? Well, there's a couple ways you can find out. You can go to electionsmanitoba.ca, enter your address, and it'll tell you what polling station to go to. If you don't have access to the internet, here's the phone number. I'll give it twice. I'll do it slow. 204 945 32 One more time, 204-945-3225. They will answer all your questions there. If you're outside the city of Winnipeg and you need a toll-free number, perhaps 866-628-6837. That's 866-628-6837. Yeah, and that, uh, I think it's, I hate that in the advance polls, you can vote at any Pretty much any one of them. When I was in Kildonan in Place, they had uh, one table that's that for residents of that area. Okay. And then they had a table for non-residents. So didn't matter where you live in Winnipeg or Manitoba, you could vote there as long as you had ID. And I think that's super easy, super convenient, because I just stumbled upon it. I was there looking for stuff for my new apartment. I wasn't there to vote, but I saw it was there, and I thought, I'm going to go do this. 
right now while I have a couple of minutes and it's convenient. Whereas on election day, you have to go to your assigned spot and that can be a pain, can be tedious, especially if it's a, if there's a big lineup or a lot of people in the parking lot. I remember I had to go vote. I don't even remember where it was now, but the, the timing sucked because it was around rush hour and the parking lot was packed and there was a huge lineup and I just wished I could have gone not there, gone somewhere else, gone anywhere I wanted. I can only guess, Brett, that part of the issue there is the fact that they have lots of time because they closed the advanced polling stations was about a week ago. Yeah. So they have times to divide out the the physical because they're paper ballots. They're not electronic ballots. Yeah. And they have time to count them. If they if you were allowed to vote anywhere today, it would really slow down the process of us getting accurate election results back. That's the only thing that I can imagine that would prevent us from doing that until we go to some sort of electronic voting. And then perhaps we'll see, like we saw in Alberta, where you could vote at West Edmonton Mall on election day, not just in advance polls. You could vote at a variety of different places. It didn't matter where you were. I think it's the fact that we still have these paper ballots that slows down that process and uh, convolutes it somewhat. Yeah, and with those paper ballots too, if you open the doors for at all locations for people to go anywhere, you might get just an absolute crush of people in one spot and another one might be quiet and no one's there. So I get it. I understand it. I just, I much prefer the convenience that's attached to the advanced voting. Well, I've been asking the question, how is it that I can apply for, get, and in a lot of cases, sign for and get the money for a loan or a mortgage on my phone yeah. without ever going to the bank, but I can't vote on my personal device. <laughs> There's not a way for them to secure my identification. Guess what? The only place in my world where I have facial recognition technology operating is on my iPhone 10. Oh, wow. Nowhere else. On my old iPhone, my iPhone 8 or 7, whatever it was, I've got thumbprint recognition. Nowhere else do I really ever use that. So the technology that's in the palm of my hand, far more advanced than paper and pencil. So you you went out to Earl Grey Community Center in the, the cold and the rain and your phone died a couple of times and you had problems connecting on our <laughs> technology because you're in River Heights and the reception is terrible. Is that true? Like it's just bad there? Oh, it's awful. awful. I lived uh, at Corden and Harrow. Well, it's it, for me, it was brutal for two reasons. Because one, I think my apartment was uh, essentially a lead sarcophagus because I sometimes <laughs> I would have no reception whatsoever. There was like a, a two-foot... Remember when you found the spot when you were doing the show from home and you found like a spot on the yeah, bedroom the suite floor? with my arm up in the air, yeah. my left leg like tucked underneath me just so. There yeah. was like a, an antenna, pro, a so, antenna post. So yep. that's what I had to do is I'd find uh, one spot in the apartment that would work. I'd actually have to go outside to make phone calls. But even that was... Not necessarily a relief because the reception is brutal. Like, I remember there was an incident at Kelvin. There was a stabbing, and one of our reporters was on location trying to call in and do some hits, and he his phone call dropped four times because the reception is just brutal. So there's... So that's probably what was going on, Loren, with the disconnecting technology. I'm going to pretend because it was so busy with voters 
expressing their opinions and tweeting. Too many people on the network? Just too many people on the network <laughs> tweeting out the I just voted thing. That's what I'm going to pretend it was. Let's go with that. It was pretty, it was, it was a fairly steady stream. I mean, like I said at the beginning, that was really busy. I was surprised. But I get that a lot of people probably plan to go vote as early as they can so they can just continue and go on to work, right? And so that's hard to read, whether seeing that many people coming in is a good indicator of whether or not there'll be a lot of people out voting today. Um, I know that riding's super active and it's a really engaged community, right? And so you had, I heard all sorts of people with comments of anything from healthcare came up quite a few times to that woman, one mom talked about income and poverty and someone else was saying, you know, they're really more interested in education. And so there was different uh, issues that drove people there. And again, a lot of people saying, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going in. Like no. as if it was some sort of uh, war, you know, like I'm going in, I'm here to help. I don't know how. Well, I, and I'm getting uh, all sorts of text messages this morning uh, about where do I go to vote and uh, just even friends of mine. Uh, Jackie's asked me a bunch of questions about the voter card and she was listening earlier. She said, oh, I thought I needed the voter voter card so no. I didn't go this morning. And of course, I have it in the most convenient of places in my vehicle. <laughs> so it's a perfect spot. You don't need for it. Jack, but you don't need and, it. But she didn't, even... she didn't realize right. until she'd gotten to work that she didn't need it. And then we've also been having a conversation that's catching some folks' attention with regards to digital or electronic voting and the whole idea that we know that that takes place in the States. Now, certainly not from your iPhone, but when you go into the ballot box, they have a variety of different ways that they they vote in the United States. They have the lever system. We heard all about the, the digital punch cards in Florida back in 2000 with the Al Gore, uh, George W. Bush uh, confrontation and the hanging chads and all that. Mm-hmm. And you looked up, Loren, how many people in the United States vote, and it's actually not much more than it is in Canada. Well, if the argument is that if you make it easier, you're going to have more people come out to vote or at least have that electronic option at the polling station, the, the United States is not your example of that. The highest voter turnout in the last uh, four elections was actually in 2008, so that would have been an Obama era, 58%. And the last one when Trump was elected was 55.6%. So that's lower than our provincial, recent provincial turnout in that's 2016. That's the national number? Yeah. That's deplorable. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, this has been, this is not our issue alone. They talk in all sorts of different countries about how, with the exception of those countries who just more recently got the right to vote, like I, I had been there in Afghanistan when they were able to vote for the first time. And yeah, like you see, you see lineups and people running to the polls, like because they, they literally just fought for that right. And here in, in the United States, places like Australia, like you, you have different kinds of engagement and different ways to get people out to vote. But I don't know if electronic is the way to go. Yeah, and we're getting emails. I got an email, for example, uh, that says, this is from Sleel, and I always like getting emails from Sleel because he's usually very angry. He says he's not angry. He's like me. He's got... I have, the, is his I have the resting... Passionate. So I have a resting Brett face. Yes. Sleel's tone makes him seem grumpy all the resting time. Resting Sleel tone. But he, he says he's a teddy bear. But he says, considering the cyber attacks China launches against government sites, never mind Russian interference in our elections and others, only a fool wants electronic <laughs> voting. Paper ballots can't be hacked. No, it's a good point. Uh, we also uh, put it out, uh, or somebody tweeted at us, they listened to the conversation, uh, Colin Fast tweeted at us, and then someone replied saying, 
how much did Putin pay you for this take? So <laughs> we're just, I'm just, I'm not He's saying He's retiring today, to everybody. That's how much he got paid. <laughs> I'm just saying it would be nice. I understand the practical implications that work against electronic voting, but it would be nice to be able to vote anywhere and vote electronically rather than having to report to one station and, and fill out this paper ballot. Yeah, and we've talked about Australia. I think it's compulsory there. You get fined 20 bucks or something $20 like that. $20 fine, yeah. If you don't vote, there's all different ways that people are trying to encourage that engagement and making it easier is part of the argument. And, but but going and being able to vote electronically at a station is still not saving you any time. The process might be quicker, but it's not like you can go on your phone. Well, yeah. That's the argument, right? That, like, well, why, that was why the can't we get I, on our phone and yeah. do it? Because you're still having to go physically go somewhere. That being said, I mean, I'm talking five minutes was the tops it took for someone to get in. And vote, and I was standing on the inside. I was standing on the outside. I'd wait for people to go in and think, "Oh, I'll ta- I'll let them vote. I don't want to talk to you or interview you until you're done. Like this is an important decision for you. You go in and do it, and then come out and chat if you feel like it. And by the time I'd watch a person go in, you know, I'd turn my back and they'd be back out. It's super quick if you're not going at a peak time. Yeah, like if this afternoon will probably. I used to try to avoid voting during in the afternoon at all costs. I would always try to get it done before noon. Because any time I voted in the afternoon, usually that's not sure. a good time. Because a lot of the polling stations are at schools. School is still in session. So if you go at 3.30, you have to battle the, the traffic. And, 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 yeah. like, so that's a disaster. And then any time after 4 o'clock, people are starting to get off work. And then the polling stations start to get busy. Not to deter anyone from going, but uh, if if you have the opportunity to go before noon, I think that's totally the way to go about it if you want the least amount of stress and hassle in terms of getting in and out and parking. Chris, here's I like this. Chris says, wasn't there a bar in the States that would give you a free beer if you could prove you voted? I like that. Mm, that's just good business. If yeah. you had a polling station, I'd you know, like, going to go get a look of maybe some nachos and some wings and mark my ex. Oh, you, you want to come meet me for a drink and then you can vote and have a drink at the same time? I remember when we weren't allowed to sell alcohol until after 8 o'clock on election day. What? In the restaurant business, there was. How old are you? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Back in uh, 1905, (laughs) Nasasparilla was the most popular brew at the brew house. Like, seriously. (laughs) Back in the OK Corral at the saloon. No, it was true. Back in the even the late 80s, early 90s, you could not serve alcohol until the polls were closed. Wow. Fact. That is just bizarre. I wonder why. Well, because I think back in the day, yeah, I think back in the day, uh, candidates would go around and go, I'll buy you a shot of whiskey if you vote for me. Who are you again? Absolutely, I'll vote for you. I'm thinking more like it would have been heyday for the fringe candidates. Like, (laughs) I'll just have one more and now I have the courage. Yep, here I go, rhino party. Like, I'm in. Okay, well, hey, weigh in, 204-780-6868. What do you think about the whole electronic voting Discussion, and you can weigh in anytime with GMAC at CJOB.com or Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, and Brett at CJOB.com. I have to read this email because I think Bruce may have nailed it on the head here. Jeff, if you want to play music, you can play music here. It's a two-liner. We're just going to have to face the ugly truth, you guys. The only way to increase voter turnout is to have candidates worth voting for. We have to stop playing the voters, or non-voters in this case, for a problem that lies with the politicians themselves. 
Oh, and Mike says, don't complain about going somewhere to vote. People went to war for you to have the privilege. Now that's going the distance. It's, it, that's a fair point, but I really, I hate getting that thrown in my face. We weren't complaining. Yeah. We, we weren't complaining. We were just saying I preferred the advance voting versus the main day voting because it was easier. And then that got us talking about electronic Because voting. we want more people engaged in the process. That's why we're having this discussion. We're all voters one way or another in this room. We're not complaining about the right in any way, shape or form. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.